Welcome to Four Books, the new podcast from Fourth Estate. I'm Candice Carty-Williams, your host for today's show. In Four Books, we ask an author to answer four questions on the books that made them, on the books that made a significant impact at distinct junctures of their lives. It might be the book that guided them through a breakup, the one that they press urgently into a friend's hand, the book that best articulates love, or the book that opened up the world in a startling new way. Reading has a unique power to universalise the most private of experiences, and the books we turn to reveal more about ourselves than we think. In four books, we use literature to glimpse the inner life of our authors. In this instalment, we have Niven Govindan, author of The Slim and Graceful All the Days and Nights in the Studio, and Ikesh Shukla, author of The Hilarious and Disturbing Meat Space, on the phone. Despite the geographical distance, each of these writers, firm friends for a long time now, complement each other's impressive reading libraries and wax lyrical on some of the books that opened up their cultural worlds. In this podcast you'll hear the book that inspired them most to be a writer, the book that changed everything, the book that each save if their house was on fire, and the book that each Niven and Nikesh would pass on. So, Niven and Nikesh, the book that inspired you to be a writer. Go for it, Niv. Okay. Um, can you pick more than one? Can you answer more than one book? Or you want one book? Let's go for one. One book. The one. Okay. The book that inspired me most to be a writer, I think, is probably um, Hubert Selby Jr.'s Last Exit to Brooklyn, mm. which I read when I was about 15. So, you know, that's already kind of a formative time. And it really kind of, I, I read, you know, um, I read so much as a child. Um, and I think as a child, I always knew that I would want to write. But I think that was the first novel that I read that felt, um, it didn't feel like a construct. It felt incredibly true and it was quite harsh and um, just incredibly real. And there was just something about the language and how, it, the you know, there's virtually no punctuation in that book. It's just incredibly uncompromising. Mm. But it feels, um, you feel you're completely in a world, but you feel like you're in a world that's unknown but recognisable at the same time and incredibly visceral and frightening and exciting and everything that kind of life is, I think, or should be. Um, and I think I finished that book and I just thought, yes, this is definitely what I want to do, mm. for sure. Punctuation is a compromise, living good in them. So actually, interestingly, the book that inspired me to be a writer isn't one of my isn't one of my favourite books. It's just a book I read at the right time in my life. So it sort of feels like I need to mention a couple of other books, really. Um, so like reading the Buddha of Sub- Suburbia basically changed my reading habits because up, up until finding the Buddha of Suburbia, I uh, I just read comic books and crime novels. Mm. And um, I, just because I never never knew that there were stories about people like me. And I think the Buddha of Suburbia TV show was coming on. And I knew that there was loads of sex in it. And I was a teenager. I was like, well, I want to see lots of sex, but uh, my parents aren't going to let me watch it. And I found it in the library. But it was all middle-aged sex. <laughs> That's <laughs> the irony. When, when you're 13, like... 20 is being middle-aged um or whatever age it came on I was, it did um it like so yeah, reading the buddha of suburbia really sort of tuned me into the fact that there could be stories about people like me and i didn't really like i was like 
wrote raps basically and um, I never really thought about writing until I was in my university bookshop and I picked up a book called Bombay Talkie because I'd seen the Merchant Ivory film mm. and it was by a woman called Amina Mir and it was actually the only book that she ever wrote or has ever to date ever written and it was just a brilliantly funny contemporary novel about um, sort of middle-class um, diaspora identity crises ac across that spanned America, England, and India. And it was just really, really funny and refreshing. And I sort of look back on it now, and I sort of, if I reread it now, I'd probably see all the things that I would do better in it. But, like, at the time, reading it made me think, oh, these are the types of stories I want to tell, and this is the way I want to tell them. So Bombay Talkie ended up being, like, a really important book in in my make, making the decision that I wanted to start writing or try my hand at writing prose. Nice. Nice answers, both of you. Thank you. Okay, so the book that changed everything. I, I think it's very hard to... I mean, maybe it's easy for other people. I think, for me, there's not one definitive book. I think in at different stages, there are books that you either chance across or books that are given to you that help certain things make sense. I think mm. um, and so really I'm thinking about most recently when that happened um, and probably I would choose um, a novel by Paula Fox the American writer uh -huh. and it's one of her sort of early 70s novels called Desperate Characters and I was reading it as I was kind of really kind of formulating what I was doing with my with a novel that I was writing which turned out to be my third novel black mm. bread white beer and it's very hard to explain sometimes how novels come to you. you you have ideas that sort of stick around for a while and between books is kind of when all these ideas and images and lots of things kind of coalesce I was working on this idea that I wanted to write really wanted to write a book about a married couple and I wanted to write a book I wanted to write sort of like a nature novel really or my version of a nature novel and I was really trying to work out how I was going to do that and I read Paula Fox's book which is a really phenomenal um, sort of exploration of a, of, a, of a married couple that are in deep, deep, this marriage is in deep, deep trouble and it takes place over a weekend and all they're doing is really trying to go to one party and then another dinner party the next mm. day and one of them gets bitten by a dog. Um, and it's kind of surreal and a bit crazy, but it's incredibly intense. Um, and, the, you know, the list of personnel in this book is very, very short. It pretty much centres on those two. Mm. Um, you know, it's a real chamber piece, and that's those are the sort of novels that I kind of am really sort of attracted to. And I kind of finished that book, and it just, you know, something really kind of crystallised in my mind as I was reading the book, really, that, you know, kind of what I was doing and what I was thinking about it was kind of okay. Because, mm. you know, you you really are in a massive kind of sea of uncertainty. If, you know, the whole process of writing a book, even before you've actually started writing it... Um, but those first, you know, those first moments when everything's coming together is incredibly fraught because you don't know what it's going to be and you've got to kind of just trust yourself. Mm. That, you know, you throw yourself into the process and that you're brave enough just to write every day and kind of trust in this growing thing that yeah. you're going to have something that is going to be the book that you want. So I was kind of just on that cusp. And this will always happen, no matter how many books you write, you're always going to have that... Um, you're always going to go through those phases. You can't, you know, no matter how confident you feel or, you know, you know how much you want to pat yourself on the back for the work you've done, 
it still always starts with a blank kind of canvas and you know just working your way up to getting to that point where you feel you've got something to say or you know you know how you want to start saying something mm. you don't necessarily know how it's going to finish but you know so that was the book that did that for me fantastic and Nikesh actually uh the book that changed everything for me uh is thanks to one living govindan actually oh. um so i know um, the one <laughs> yeah so uh Niven, i stalked for a little bit because i had a really big writer crush on him and you know a, a sexy crush as well obviously it was creepy <laughs> so, um, i sort of felt like i knew i was on the right path when um my uh, a short a short piece that I'd written was going to be included in an anthology with Niven, uh, but it was a bad idea magazine. And um, I'd read Graffiti My Soul and it, and We Are the New Romantics, and they both just really really blew my mind. And I was really like Niven's one of those people who's sort of very good at um, letting the writing speak for himself. So like actually I didn't know anything about who this person was. And um, mm. We both did this gig at um, the V&A. Um, oh, yes. The anthology. And I met him there and I sort of thought, oh, man, this is a friendship I need to cultivate. And Niven has ended up sort of whether he whether he accepts it or not sort of mentoring me through sort of key um, stages of my writing career. And I was really... So Coconut Unlimited, which is my first published novel, wasn't actually the first book that I'd completed. I'd written like a collection of short stories and right. I sort of half been working on this memoir about this year I had had living in... Kenya and neither of them were really working and I really I knew I wanted to write sort of a piece about where I grew up and I knew I wanted to write a piece about um sort of the lies that you tell yourself when you're when you're a kid just to get through the sort of the constant mm. bizarreness that you're surrounded with and Niv, uh, Niven recommended a book to me called Sag Harbor by Colson Whitehead mm. and um because it it, it showed me the possibility of fiction because it's really unconventionally written <clears throat> i mean it's so it's about a group of um black kids who go to private school and during term uh, during term time and during summer time um they all go to like the black version of the black end of the hamptons as it were <laughs> and they all hang out and it's like the only time they get to sort of express their blackness and it's in the birth of hip-hop and it's uh, so that's what the book's about. But the book is written as a series of escapades, as a series of capers, and it's really um, a book that doesn't sort of feed into like the traditional narrative of modern story, uh, storytelling with it like a beginning, middle, and end. And mm. um, uh, it sort of it made me realise that sort of my obsession with sitcoms and my obsession with sitcom tropes and archetypes and, and sitcom structures and um, the sort of the Cinderella plot, as it were, of each sitcom episode um, could be. Um, inflicted upon a book narrative and um, so I read Sag Harbour because Niven had recommended it to me and then as soon as I finished it I knew what Coconut Limited was it was about mm. a group of kids forming a band and each chapter was going to be like a self-contained sitcom episode of them putting the band together and it wasn't necessarily going to be about them going on a journey it was just going to be about life like how life is like life is a series of situations it's not necessarily a journey that we all go on and and is formless as well there's something you know there's no sense of time in that book you know when yeah. you're very young you don't really have a sense of time you have a sense of when the holidays start and end but in between mm. there's just space and that's what the book is the book gives them space just to just to kind of live um yeah you know i really, that's what i really loved about that book yeah, that's and amazing. and it is one of it is one of the funniest books I've 
I've read. Like I think so many. So he's many, so um, underrated, Colson Wilde. Yeah, in this really. country for sure. In America, they really love him. But and like each book he's done has been, um, he's really subverted a different genre each time. So this was his version of the coming of age novel. He wrote a book that sort of subverted the horror tropes of zombies. zombies. Um, he wrote like a, a, a his first book was like a pastiche of um, crime, like crime noir, and. Uh, so the 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 I think so much uh, comedic writing suffers from overwriting and mm-hmm. like um, over over telling jokes and over doing descript- descriptions about grotesque features of characters and everyone has to do everything in a really sort of exaggerated hilarious way and it never really works on the page but I think what Carlson Whitehead really showed me was how much humour you can do through dialogue and through um, through caper, just through movement as well. There's so much movement, like, even though there's a lot of space in that, but there's a lot of movement as well because mm. these kids are restless. They're like... They don't they're sit like, still. <laughs> yeah. And it's that age, they ride from one house to another, one house to another, back and forth. That's, you know, he nailed it for sure. Yeah. Really underrated book. I wish um, more people had read it. I'm going to read it when I leave this room. <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, so it was the book you'd save if your house was on fire. So this 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 um, actually this question really does have two answers. Okay. Because there's I will t- allow that. There's two there's two answers you can give really. The obvious one is I really love collecting first editions, like mm-hmm. modern first editions. So you know, if the house was on fire, yes, I would jump and get my John Cheevers and my James Salters and run out of the house quickly. <laughs> but actually, I think if, you know, Touchwood, if the house was, you know, not that it happened, if the house was on fire, I think the books I would actually pick up are my own books. Yeah. Because I think there's something really primal about the need to um, make your mark in the world in somehow. Yeah. From, you know, hunting a... Um, buffalo and hanging its head on the wall to making a house out of stone, whatever. People need to leave something. People need to show something to not necessarily define who they are, but just define what they can do. Um, So I think, yeah, I don't know if I would, you know, how much deep thought I'd be capable of if the house was on fire. I don't know if I'd rush and get my favourite clothes first, but (laughs) actually I think I probably would get copies of my own books. Yeah, That's fair. Nikesh? Um, so I mean, you know, you find them on a reminder part, but I'd still want my own. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think the book that's probably the most precious to me is um, a book that I, uh, Gino Diaz signed for me. And in oh. it, he just, he, just, he just wrote, stay strong, brother, we need you. And it's, mm. it's a very life, like a very writery, writer affirming sentiment which i really like yeah 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 he's so cool uh but also i would save um uh, a book that i uh my my, the first thing that i ever published in was when i was 13 years old it was a book it was a poetry collection called awaken to a dream and so there was this competition that was advertised in the back of the newspaper um into the international poetry competition submit your poems and I was 13, I wrote a poem that was inevitably about how uh, mundane things in life are all reminders of the fact that we're all going to die because I was 13 and that's mm-hmm. what you write when you're 13. Yeah. And I submitted this poem. A month later, I got accepted into the anthology and I was like, holy shit. Oh, can I swear? <laughs> yeah, you can. Uh, 
holy fuck. Okay. <laughs> now I know. I Bring it. Like, holy motherfucking cunting hell. Um, I was All like, right, I'm going to be, be published. This is amazing. Um, I ha- oh, my God, this is so cool. And then um, I showed my mum, and basically the condition of me being published was that I had to pay £45 for a <laughs> copy of the anthology. And I was 13 and naive, and I didn't realise that this was basically like a backup newspaper scam. Mm-hmm. So I forced my mum. My mum knew what was up, but she was like, this guy needs to learn. Yeah. So I forced my mum to pay this £45 through cheque or whatever, um, plus the fucking £10 delivery charge. Yeah, P&P. And the book arrived, and it was A4 size, 500 pages long, and there were four poems to a page, and it was on really thin, like greaseproof paper stock ouch and they absolutely cashed in didn't they yeah and there was like i worked out the math and they basically (laughs) would have made like i don't know ten thousand pound profit like after all the printing costs because it was just ridiculous and it's an important reminder i keep it on my desk because it's an important reminder to me that it's not like writing isn't just about being published Hmm. writing's about writing like there are ways of getting published and that is a prime example of like anyone can get published basically yeah especially if you have money so like write for writing sake so it's like it's a mistake i made but it's a mistake i'm glad i made in hindsight because it's a constant reminder of why i'm doing this you were a kid as you well. were 13 so i wouldn't you know be too hard hey, no, so. that's the worst mistake you made at 13 i mean hello <laughs> <laughs> well, i also keep um the the thing that I stole from that. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's more like it. Yeah. So my final question is the book you would pass on. I would probably, this is going to sound really egotistical, but the book I'd pass on to my 10-month-old daughter at time of recording would be um, a sort of a semi-autobiographical sort of part fiction memoir that I wrote mm. um about my, learning to cook my mum's recipes because it oh, has all those family mess recipes in it yeah. and it's all about like heritage and um what you know the legacy of what we learn from our parents mm. and like the things that uh, make us feel at home and like my my daughter will never know my mum because yeah. she was born like years after she died obviously but may hopefully maybe through trying those recipes she'll get a sense of like who that person was and where i came from because like the default for my kid is to grow up as white British, but like it's it's up to me to ensure that like mm. the Indian part of her has some sort of education that comes from me, basically. Amazing. So yeah, I'd pass that on. I'd pass on my own stuff. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> They're lodged in that pram already, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why, why are we doing this other than to create a legacy for future generations? To know that we existed like, I mean, it's what what Niven was saying before like so much of what we do is about leaving leaving a mark on the world to say that we were here it's like mm-hmm. Douglas Adams in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is that like total um, perspective vortex where like the ultimate form of torture is to put you in a room that and it show you um, the, the size of you in relation to the universe and it's sort of it will spin your brain out and make you go mad mm-hmm. and by creating these little works of art and throw, chucking them out into the world you know, we're increasing our size in relation to the universe, I guess. I don't know. Niven, talk, please. 
rescue me from <laughs> before we go further into that sci-fi vortex uh, <laughs> i think um well actually what i love about reading most of all is that maybe every few months you find a book that you love so much you feel really evangelical that you need to champion and really just tell people about so in the same way that you know we talked a lot about um sag harbor um i just go through that you know once a year i was th- i was in the year thinking there was a book i really loved and i had to sort mm. of buy it. it's gifts for people and just talk about it at every opportunity um so just think literally just now i've just finished reading um, the new Panos Karnesis novel called The Fugitive and he is such an amazing guy he's just a phenomenal phenomenal writer um, and I just wish he was kind of better known because um, his work is amazing mm. and this is just a really it's a very short novel it's about um, an English priest who's um, sort of doing missionary work trying to convert um, a group of South American Indians in the jungle and they're being terrorised by a jaguar um, and they're hiding a um, an army fugitive from the guerrilla faction who's supposed to be protecting them. It's just an amazing book. It's really simple, but it's just phenomenally done. It's just brilliant, and I just want to tell everyone about it. Incredible. Well, you have now. <laughs> now I have. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. You've answered all, all the four questions. Thanks for having us. And sorry to hear that you're ill, Nikesh. He's passed it's okay. He's I'll get that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm strong like Cecil the lion. <laughs> oh, damn. Or his brother, Jericho, who is also a lion. That was Nibin Govindan, author of All the Days and Nights, and Nikesh Shukla, author of Meat Space, talking about the four books that inspired them. Both books are out now. We'll be broadcasting four books every month from our Fourth Estate channel. We look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>